Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. So I invented a new school of thought called the Brendan School of Thought. Every single day, I post four times a day on Instagram. But what people don't know is every 100 days, I repost the same content. So I call this 400 to win. And then what I do is every quarter, I'll take $1,000, $2,000, $3,000 of my personal money, and I'll use that money to test out new formats and ideas with my creative director. And then what we'll do is we'll take the lowest performing 20% of our reels. Let's say there's 80 reels. We'll take them out of the cycle and we'll replace them with the new ideas. So only the best stuff stays in the feed so that over time, the hope is that the repost, and that has been the case, the reposts do just as well as the original post. Why do we have insights when our mind is quiet? How do insights play a role in our ability to learn and when do they impact the trajectory of our lives? Welcome to Insight Out, where we explore these questions and dissect how insights influence who we are and ultimately who we become. I interview New York Times bestselling authors and some of the most influential minds of our time to find out what insights have helped to make them who they are. When I realized that the world worked in many different ways, I'm going to choose to create a life that is specifically designed for me. I see infinite capacity to think and create. That's the magic that we all have. You can tap into that any point in your life. You just have to decide to do it. And as a leader, you have to be a transition figure. As Dr. Covey said, be a light, not a judge. Be a model, not a critic. If you're like me, constantly working to design a life that will allow you to reach your fullest potential so that you can leave your mark on this planet, then you're in the right place. I'm glad to have you on this journey and hope you enjoy this episode of Inside Out. So I'm excited because you and I had this conversation at Summit of Greatness and we went and dissected your strategic plan for Instagram. And that was, geez, that was what, September, August last year? And you were at probably at that point, where were you at? 40,000 or so? Yeah, around 40. And we're talking about Instagram here. You had had 10,000 for a really long time, right around there. When we were on Clubhouse, I want to say that you hit 10,000 or you were close to 10,000. You kind of just stayed there for a really long time. So I want to go back to like when you first had the aha that, oh, I need to invest more time on Instagram. Like what was that moment? Yeah, for sure, Billy. Always great to talk to you. You know, for me, the moment for investing on Instagram, frankly, was because I realized my other platforms weren't doing so well, weren't doing so hot. You know, at that point in time, when I started putting money into Instagram, I had invested over $30,000 of my own cash into, into MasterTalk, specifically in YouTube. And for the first few years, it was going well. I was growing at 1,000 subscribers a month. And I told myself, oh, okay, if I do this for six, seven years, I'll for sure hit 100K. But then the algorithms changed, Billy. And YouTube, to compete with other platforms like Instagram and TikTok, started upperforming the shorts and downplaying long form. So my viewership started to tank in long form and my subscriber growth was tanking too. So it made me think of other options. It's either I stay stagnant like this and I keep spending 10K a year on YouTube with very little return, honestly. 
since I started this five years ago, or I try something new. That's reason one. Reason two was because one of my buddies was actually in the same industry as me, a guy named Yasir. He lives pretty much six hours away from me. We're in the same age bracket. He started blowing up on short form content, TikTok, Instagram. And he actually tells me, he's not hiding it. He's DMing me every month and he's going, bro, I just started posting videos on my TikTok and it's blowing up. And at at that point, I wasn't taking him seriously because I'd been longer in the industry than he was. So I was like, who cares, man? It's not like you're going to get that many clients. I was downplaying it to my own fault. And then he texts me one day and he's like, hey, I'm at half a million on TikTok. What? Half a million? And he's not creating prank videos, Billy. He's creating the same content as me. It's on public speaking tips. So I said, I need to do something. So I dropped $5,000 in the last quarter of 2022 and I never looked back. Love it, man. And look, here's the thing though. The dropping the money part, I don't even care about that part because that's not what did it. Like, yes, you have a high production value videos, but it's the consistency. That's what did it. Like you could do this. I mean, granted, it helps to have the the content machine behind you and the ability to produce at scale. But at the end of the day, it's the volume and it's also the quality of the content. Like you put out some really, really A plus videos. And so I'm curious when you think about like what's worked, like specifically what I've seen and I've gone through, I went through last night, I went through every reel you've uploaded, like everyone to the very end where you can't even, to the ones that we were putting as our placeholder picture on Clubhouse when it was your birthday. And when you hit 10,000 on Clubhouse, those videos, I went all the way back to those videos. And so I'm curious, the videos that you've seen to spike the most, which are those? And like, do you have a a formula that you think is like the winning formula? Yeah, for sure, Billy. It's a great question. So let me walk you through the four videos that went viral that did over a million. That's how I'll quantify virality in this case. Those are a couple of videos that did over 100,000, which is still a very good result. So let's break down those videos. The first one was a video about how I'm in my early 20s and I still live in my mom's basement. So I gave a strong opinion as if I was on a podcast. It was a podcast clip. But the way that I was filming them, which I changed later on, was you know, it was me kind of pretending to be on a podcast with a mic. And the frame of that video was saying, hey, all of you are trying to move out of your parents' house. You're trying to waste a bunch of money. And I gave a really strong case as to why living with my mother was the best decision I ever made. And that did like 880,000 views. And I think the key to that one was controversy, right? I had a strongly held opinion that a lot of people disagreed with. So for example, to be very candid here, you had people who from Asian backgrounds who would jump into the comments and say, this is exactly what you should be doing with your life. Italians are doing it too. Vietnamese people are doing it too. Brendan, you're living your life perfectly. And then you had the Western society, people who move out of their parents' house really early, who went and attacked the Asian people in the comments. And that's what created a comment war and eventually blew up the video. And three out of four of those videos had that same theme. And it's not something I'm looking to recreate, by the way. I basically got lucky, but that's the formula. So I'll walk you through the other two and pass it back to you. The second one was my diet video. So I just had a random idea. I was walking this through my creative director. Let me just make a video on how my diet is. I mean, I'm not I'm not Arnold Schwarzenegger or anything, but you know what? Like I have a pretty healthy diet. Like I have a pretty good BMI index. So and I do intermittent fasting and I'm very healthy and I haven't been sick in years. So I made a video, like very cute video. I wasn't thinking much And people started bashing me in the comments. Who are you to make a video on a diet? And other people said, what are you talking about? Brendan's just saying what's working for him. Why are you teasing him? And once again, a comment war ensued. 
And the same thing happened with video three. And all three was the same form. It was me on a podcast, just talking. The third one is a video about how I never gotten drunk in my life. Why I never drink alcohol when I'm in parties. And I was talking about how my dad was an alcoholic and all that stuff. So whenever I'm in parties, people have shots and I have shots of water. So then same thing happened. College kids who drink a lot jump in and said, oh, this guy's a loser. He doesn't party. He doesn't do anything. And then other people who had a healthier lifestyle were like, this is exactly what should be teaching our children. And they got into a common war. That was the underlying theme between both of those, all three of those videos doing a mill. Well, I love that you've figured out a formula, at least one formula that works really well. But there's, there's others that I've noticed too. I think you're spot on, right? Controversy sells, especially when there's polarizing viewpoints and you take a stand. You have to have a point of view. You have to have a perspective on things. And if you're trying to please everyone, you please no one. And how do you know you've made it? When you got haters, when you got people who are going to troll you. And I'm just going to be blunt about it. They're vicious. But you have really thick skin. How did you learn to have that thick skin? Because you don't seem to let it phase you. Yeah, definitely, Billy. So, so there's two parts to that. One part to your question around formats, you're right. There's a fourth video that actually is my most popular one that did 2.5 million views. That was my greatest hit. You actually called me saying how good the video was. And the framework was really simple. We implemented a whiteboard framework. So whiteboard framework is just where you're speaking in front of a camera, you're standing up and there's a whiteboard behind you. So you just look smarter. I don't know why these videos do better, but they just do. And what I talked about in that video is the idea of never using descending tones. So a lot of people, when they end their sentences, they speak like this, and it doesn't sound very professional. So I encourage them to do the opposite. And I think what worked really well, and that's actually what I'm replicating tomorrow, funny enough, I have a whole filming day just dedicated to this format, where it's essentially the before and after format. We see this a lot in infomercials. Hey, you know, before you started using this vacuum, look how dusty this basement is. And after, look how clean this basement is. It's the exact same virality point, but for the context of educational pieces where, hey, I was demonstrating the mistake. Oh, this is how you shouldn't be speaking like this, but you got to speak like this instead. So me demonstrating it was the key difference that made the video go viral. So that's part one to your question. Part two to your question is around how do I deal with haters? So there's two frames that I love to use here, Billy. The first frame is the aggressive frame. So this primarily works with like A-type men who are kind of like Gary Vee. So I'm in that category. And the quote is by a guy named Pete Weber, who was a bowler professionally, you know, bowling for like 40 years. And when he retired on the last day of his 40-year career, he looked at the camera and said, to all my friends, I really appreciate you. And to all my fans, I appreciate you. Love me or hate me. You watched and that's all you could ever do. And then he got a strike and he moved out and he left the career. And I love that quote so much because it's so true, Billy. Like if I asked you, throwing this back to you now, you're saying there's a lot of hate on my social media. I totally agree. Could you tell me right now who specifically hated on me in the comments yesterday? <laughs> no, there, no, I couldn't because it doesn't matter. Like that's the thing. When I look at any hate, I think it's almost in all cases, it's them. It's not you right? It's their insecurity. It's their fear. It's their struggle. And I think chances are this person has things going on in their life that are make them want to hurt other people and to get a laugh or to say something that they think others will be amused with at the expense of another human being. And personally, like I feel sorry for them. That's what it comes down to, especially because you're putting out 
so much wisdom and at scale. And so, yeah, that's how I feel about that. So like I said, I went through it. I looked at it and what I thought as I was going through, the thing that stood out is I looked for Ks. I didn't look for the Ms, which would be a million, but I looked for Ks. Because if it's got like under, I think, 10,000, it'll say like 6,342. But if it's got over 10,000, it'll have a K. And so I'm curious, when you think of your follower count going up, when do you see it go up the most? When you have a million one, when you have, I mean, obviously the more views it gets, the more that's going to happen. But is there anything that helps really, really, really accelerate the follower growth? Because you're getting the views. But how do you accelerate the follower growth with the views? Yeah, it's a great question, Billy. And the way that I would answer that is that the focus and the proof is in the pudding. If you look at my statistics in the back end, 100%, almost all of my follower growth is attributed to viral videos. So like, for example, the one that I had mentioned earlier, the one that got 2.5 million views on the, the low vocal tones, the descending tones, the reason that's such a key video is that video alone grew my following by around 38 to 40,000 followers, which is really wild if you think about it. The rest of the videos are more just to create deeper relationships with the fans that are following me. But what's triggering the follow is not the different types of video content that we put out. It's really those viral clips. An analogy I would equate it to is it's kind of like a lottery system. Whereas because we're posting four times a day on Instagram, and I want people to hear that four times a day, not like once a day or four times a week, four times a day, Billy. And I've been consistent with that. for I may have missed a few posts along the way, but because I'm, I'm playing the slot machine four times a day instead of once a day or once a week, obviously, naturally, you have more chances of winning the game. And that's essentially why, I, if I had to point to one thing, what's led to the rocket ship uh, following. Because I've been posting four times a day since June of 2023. And I was at 10,000, 13,000 followers back then. So yeah, big difference. If you buy enough lottery tickets, you're going to win, especially scratchers, maybe not lotto, but scratchers, you're going to win every now and then. And it shows with what you've done because some of those have gone viral. And so this is a perfect opportunity to segue into your thought process with how you're approaching publishing the content, like creating it and publishing it but more importantly, how you're going to sort of top grade, you're going to keep the top performers, remove the lower performers, share, because you and I have had this conversation, you have this huge catalog of content that you're building, and you're going to repost a lot of it, but some of it you're not going to repost. What's going to make that decision for you? Yeah, let's start with the principle, Billy, that I actually didn't cover with you in person that I'll mention here, because we don't talk about enough about this on social media. So you have two schools of thought, right, Billy? The first school of thought is an Alex Hermosi, Gary Vaynerchuk type of thing where the entrepreneur is making millions of dollars in their own businesses and they're putting in one to $2 million a year in their media, just for their media. So they'll have teams, Gary V will vlog a ton and his team will record everything and they'll go in the back, try a bunch of clips and do all the split testing for him. So that's one school of thought. And then the other school of thought, which is way on the opposite end, is you're broke in your mom's basement, you're struggling to even eat beans for lunch, and you have zero dollars to invest in media. <laughs> and I think that conversation is really toxic because you can make excuses on other si either side of the ballot. You can say, well, I have no money. I'm a loser, like I was, by the way, in 2019. I mean, I'm not saying I was a loser in 2019, but I had no money to invest in media. 
And then you also have the excuse of, oh, well, I'm not making millions of dollars a year. I can't be Alex Ramos. And both of these schools of thoughts gets you nowhere. So I invented a new school of thought called the Brendan School of Thought, which is if you have a little bit of money, I'm not saying a million dollars because we don't spend a million dollars in our media, but we don't spend zero either. We spend, it used to be when I started around 10,000 Canadian a year, so let's say 7K US. And today that media budget's around fifteen, eighteen thousand dollars $18,000 a year. So it's not a small amount, but it's not a massive amount. Like if you really put in the effort, you can get there. So now the reason I gave you that, that lesson is to dive into your question now. So what I had to ask myself is how do I make every single dollar in my 15000 now it's probably $20,000 media budget, go as far and wide as possible? And I had to invent new frameworks on how to approach it. One being every single day I post four times a day on Instagram. But what people don't know is every 100 days I repost the same content. So I call this 400 to win. And then what I do is every quarter I'll take – a thousand, two thousand, three thousand dollars of my personal money. And I'll use that money to test out new formats and ideas with my creative director. And then what we'll do is we'll take the lowest performing 20% of our reels. Let's say there's 80 reels. We'll take them out of this the cycle and we'll replace them with the new ideas. So only the best stuff stays in the feed so that over time that the hope is that the repost, and that has been the case, the repost do just as well as the original post. Great, great approach, right? So I think what you're doing effectively is you're constantly looking at the content, figuring out what is working and what's not. If it's not, remove it. If it is, double down on it. Create new content using the knowledge that you've gained from what's working and what's not working to make more of what's working. So let's talk a little bit more about what is working. So one thing I've noticed when going through is props. You have a couple of videos. You have a hat on one video where you talk about leaving voice messages on people's birthday. What have you seen? Give us as many things that you've seen working. The whiteboard you mentioned is something, but what else is really, really strong from a just a viewer experience standpoint that they're enjoying and then ultimately sharing with people? 100% Billy B. So, so let me start with the principle, then happy to list out all the formats we've tried. So the principle is very simple. Research social media accounts that are at least, not more than, at least 10 times bigger than your current social media account. So now I have 100,000 on Instagram. So I will not study accounts that have less than a million now. But when I was at 10,000, I wouldn't study accounts with less than 100,000, if that analogy makes sense. So only study accounts that have 10 times bigger following that ideally ideally, are in the same content sphere as yours. So I'll give examples for me. So I'm lucky. I'm best friends with one of them. I actually know him really well. So I was able to, to build this. And he has 1.2 million on Instagram right now. His name is Yasir Khan, who's a public speaking coach. The second one that many of you probably know is Vin Zhang, right? So he has 2.2 three or 2.5 million Instagram. He's the current leader. I think he has the biggest following in the communication space currently. And then the third one is a guy named Jefferson. I think his name is David Jefferson or something. Don't quote me on his exact name because I always misspell. He's like a lawyer and he's always speaking in a car and talking about communication tips. So he only uses one format. He has around 1.2 million. Then there's another woman named Julia who isn't really related to my field, 
but she does something on psychology and mental health and she uses a bunch of props. That's the principle. Study who's bigger than you, see which formats they're using, and then replicate it and see at the data which formats you do well. Now let's get into the list. The list, Billy, is what are the formats that we tried? And some worked and some didn't. That's really important. Some worked and some didn't. So the first one that I tried, I realized I was guesting on a lot of podcasts, but nothing, everything was filmed virtually, like the conversation we're having now. So I felt a lot of those videos couldn't go viral. So I literally just told my creative director, the, I took all the insights that I already said on podcasts, and I said, let's just create a fake studio and film me. This turned out to be both a terrible idea and a good idea. It was a good idea because it forced me to post four times a day on Instagram, but it was a terrible idea because I got a lot of backlash from the public and people started making hate pieces. I don't even think I told you this. People started making hate pieces about me that have millions of subscribers on YouTube, which was hilarious. Oh my God. Which between us, honestly, was a good thing because it grew my following too, so whatever. But I chose not to do that format anymore. The second format was the physical objects format, where I take a prop and I start having a conversation or I create an analogy around it. One example is the rope. So in communication, it's a lot of tug of war, right? Where one side of a conversation, like I'm doing now, is overpowering the other person because I talk a lot, as you know. And then the other side of the conversation is listening to what you have to say, Billy. So I use the rope to analogize that. But it turns out that format didn't do as well as I'd hoped for. Format number three was the whiteboard format. So I just took a whiteboard and I started speaking stand-up. And the last format that I tried was me speaking on a stage. So I, I got clips from an in-person session I gave to my clients in Michigan. And we clipped that. And that format did exceptionally well. Now I'll throw it back to you. Yeah. And I love the props one, especially because it's it's so easy to do. You don't need to go do a speaking engagement, but if you do a speaking engagement, clearly that does really well too. I think people are naturally curious by if it's a podcast that's in person versus virtual. And I understand, you know, and, and even I gave you a little bit of backlash. I didn't do a hate piece on it, but I, I suggested experimenting with other things, which which you've done. And look, man, you can't deny. You did a video on ultra successful people. You remember that video? And what do you think about that video was so special? I want to pick apart a few of these videos because they're, they did really well. And I don't remember exactly how many views that got, but a fair amount. Yeah, I know exactly which one you're referring to. Yeah, you're referring about the, the podcast video that I made about the, the conversation Dara Khosra Shahi, the CEO of Uber, yes. had with uh, Daniel Ek. Absolutely. But the, there's another lesson there by the, before I even start talking about what Billy wants me to do, which is Notice how I know the videos. Isn't that crazy? Because there's 400 of them. So it really shows you how close I am to my media. Whereas a lot of people, what they do is they just outsource this. Oh, you know, I make $200,000 a year. Let me just outsource this. What people don't get, Billy, is running a media social media account is like running a separate company. So the way I like to say it is I'm the CEO of two companies. Well, actually, I'm the executive running two companies. I'm the CEO of my media company, and I'm the COO of my coaching company, where Vomsi, my business partner, is the CEO of. And that's the mindset you want to have. So if, if you asked me that question, I was like, uh, I don't really know what you're talking about, then I'm not close enough to my media to see what's working and what's not. And that's important to keep in mind. So now building into this, why do I think the video went viral? I think a lot of it has to do with luck. But if I had to point to a, to a consistent principle, it's probably a couple of things. Explain the video real quick. 
Yeah, of course. Happy to. Thanks, Billy. You alluded to it, but just to give a little bit more specific. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. So the idea for the video came from a Stanford interview I was watching where Dara's being interviewed by a student of Stanford GSB, which is Stanford's MBA program, about what made him ultimately take the job at Uber. Because he used to be the CEO of Expedia, and he was doing very well. He was getting paid a bunch of money. The stock was doing really well. He got asked to interview for the job and by Daniel Ek, who's obviously the founder and CEO of Spotify. And Dara looked at Daniel Ek and said, why would I apply for this job? I'm really happy at Expedia. I really enjoy my life. I don't really need this new opportunity. And Daniel looked at Dara in his cold, blue, Scandinavian eyes. This is the way Dara describes it, by the way. So I'm not, I'm not adding a descriptor to this. And he said, look, Dara, since when is life about being happy? I thought life was about being successful and having a lot of fun and making a big difference in the world. And that always stuck with me. That's why I chose to make a video on that. So now with that said, let's break it down. So I told the story, right? I opened right away with the story. I told a statement where it's like ultra successful people think differently. So it makes you think, huh, like in what way do they think differently? So you keep watching the video and then I tell the story. And then the third element to that video is there's a shock there's a shocker piece that creates controversy. For example, the piece about when Daniel Exon's once life is about happiness, it's true from his frame, and I would agree with him. I think it's factual, but it creates controversy, Billy, because there's some people who don't work as hard who will start commenting on, in the video and go, what do you mean? Life is not about this. It's about uh, enjoying life. This Daniel Ek guy doesn't know what he's talking about. There's other people who are ultra successful who come in the comments and go, what are you talking about? Bob? You live at home. You don't make any money. Like Obviously, what this guy's talking about makes sense. And then they fight with each other. But either way, it grows the video. Yeah, I love that video. And also, even if you don't agree with it, you could appreciate the story. And also, I want to go back to this idea that you found an interview. You saw an interview. You remembered that interview. And then you brought it to life by making a video about it. And so that's one of the, I think, keys to success on social media is it's like Mr. Beast. One of the things he says is, I want to make something that's never been seen before. You created a new version of that interview that hadn't been seen because it was your perspective on it. Your telling of the story. It's produced in a new way. It's got new packaging. Also, it's probably not, a lot of people never heard the story. So it's not like everybody who's on the internet right now knows that happened. So you're sharing this little moment of time between two world-renowned CEOs and founders who everybody knows their companies, Spotify and Uber, right? Like, so now we get to hear the inner workings of how they think. And yes, there's that edge of controversy, which creates a dialogue between the people who are watching it, or maybe a debate, if you want to call it that, that helps. Okay, go to, go to another video, duct tape painting. Tell us about that one. Yeah, this one I was really sad about, Billy, because funny enough, it actually didn't do as well as I thought it would It got like 20, 30,000 views, but it's funny because I tried to podcast format around the same idea and it did 400,000 views. That's why I was a little disappointed by that one. But yeah, so the analogy I initially got from Vomsi, my business partner, where he he's a very good visual thinker. So the, the analogy of the video, just so people have awareness to it, is you imagine that you're in a house and there's a painting in your house. Let's say you buy a new painting for, I don't know, $25,000 and you put it in your house. And then people walk into your house, they look at the painting, but there's duct tape around the painting. What will people think of you? They'll go, did you really spend $25,000 on this painting? This doesn't really look that good. In the same way, in scenario two, 
if you had a really nice frame around the painting and people walked into your house, they would look at the painting and go, wow, that's such a beautiful painting. Where did you get that? And the analogy is really just to teach that communication is all about framing. You could have the best information in the world, but if you share it like this to the world and how you share, then what happens is people value it like a sack of gum, right? People won't value you for the work that you do because you don't communicate effectively. The key lesson here, Billy, is I took the same lesson, the painting frame, and I taught it through different formats. That's the key lesson. So I took the exact same lesson. I taught it through a physical object, which I thought would do better, but I ended up not doing better, where I literally took a painting. My friend Danny took duct tape and put it around the frame, and we made a video on that. And then we tried the same exact lesson where I'm on a podcast sharing it. And that's what led to the results it did. <laughs> it's, fun. it's interesting that you, you didn't think it performed as well. And obviously you had it perform really well, the 400,000 post. So when we think about what performs well and what doesn't, often we have an idea of what's going to work and then it doesn't. And we got to be okay with that. We got to be okay with something not doing what we had envisioned it to do. Because a lot of it is experimentation. It's testing. It's trying different things. It's trying different formats. And I think we get in our own way when we set ourselves up for expectations that we can't control everything. Control the controllables. We can't control if 100,000 or 400,000 or a million people are going to watch something. But what we can control is our creative process. What we can control is how we're evaluating, how we're looking at things. And so when you think of like going forward and we look to the next, call it year, because I went back and it was about a year ago, give or take, you know, a couple months when you really started doubling down on your content. You could see a distinct difference between your content when you started really, really focusing on it and the content before that, the production value, the style, the consistency, like there is a stark difference. And if you go back and I, I went, like I said, I went back all the way back to the very, very beginning, your first posts. And I know you've archived and deleted a bunch of posts, but like the first posts that you could see publicly, I went all the way back. You could see the stark difference. So now let's flash forward a year from today. What are the things that you're going to be doing? Because you're studying now the, the 10Xers, right? People are at a million plus. And I know that's one of your, your goals is to, is to hit a million. You hit 100,000 in roughly a year. I mean, 90,000 in addition to the 10,000 you had before. So do you have a prediction on how long it'll take? And what are the things that you're going to do to get there? So the goal is to hit a million by the end of the year. I actually think it's a very feasible outcome now because the first 100,000 is often the hardest on any social media account. And, and you know this, since you've known me actually the entire journey, minus like a plus or minus a few months, you'd literally knew me when I was broke and I had 3,000 followers on YouTube and I wasn't even doing anything on Instagram. So you know from firsthand that it really did take me three to four years of figuring out my craft, learning from my mistakes, limiting, removing my limiting beliefs to get to 10,000 and now 100. So now the rest is going to be a lot easier. So building on that, what's the game plan for this year? So the game plan for this year is really simple. Because I got lucky with one of the videos, I know exactly what my next film date is going to be, which is tomorrow. So going back to that 2.5 million video, I looked at it because it was the first video to my happiness and credit that did, got viral, but on a topic that is aligned with my mission. See, the problem with the other videos, Billy, that did a million. So there's a couple that did 400K, like the painting one, which is related to what I speak about or some other thing. 
like some got 88,000 that's related to speaking. But this is the first one that did over a million that was related to speaking, unlike my diets or like uh, my mom's basement videos. And that's not to say that the alcohol video is a bad one. It's just not what I want my brand, my long-term brand to be known for. Oh, he's the kid who talks about alcohol. Like It's not really right, right. what I want to do. So I took a step back. I studied that video. I watched it five, six times. And I realized I was doing something very specific that we broke down a little bit early in the show that I'll add a lot more flair to. So the, I start the video by going, never do X. So immediately there's a curiosity. Never do what? Like, what does he mean? So that video was never do descending vocal tones at the end of a sentence. But now I've created other versions of it that I'm filming tomorrow, which is like never ask boring questions in a conversation or something like that. Then after I communicate never do X, I then demonstrate X. So demonstrating the mistake could sound like I talk like this. Uh, another example could be in boring questions. So, Billy, like, what's like the day in the day of your life? So it's like, so I'm demonstrating the stupidity. And then I go to the third part of the video, which is instead do why, why being the solution. Then there's five parts to the video. And then the fourth piece is I demonstrate the solution. So it's like, it's great to see you, Billy, where I'm ending with lower tones. Or instead of asking a stupid question, I ask a really good one, which is, Hey, Billy, what are you the most excited about this month? So it's just an interesting question that a lot of people ask. And then the final part of the video is explained. So at this point, the viewer is invested in the video because they saw the never. They were curious. They're already 20 seconds in, so they want to they see it to the end. And then the end is just an explanation of around the whole thing. So I created 40 of those videos. I actually made more than 40. I made like 50 or 60. We could talk about the process behind that if you want. And then I deleted the ones I didn't like. So I really am focusing just on quality now. Whereas initially I was focusing on getting quantity. But now that I'm posting four times a day, it's really about the ones that I really like. That's my first film day. My second, there's three things. The second film day is going to be about speech breakdowns that I'm working right now where I'm getting a clip of some speaker's speech. And then I give feedback on it for 20 seconds. I'm almost done that. That's going to be in two weeks. And then the third piece is what we're doing together in April with a couple of secret podcasts that we shouldn't be talking about right now until they go live. And obviously me and you uh, doing some shows together in person. Love it, man. Yeah, I'm super excited about that. We won't spoil the surprise, but it's going to be exciting and we have some fun things planned. And then, yeah, I mean, negative hook. Like I've heard it over and over again. Negative hooks work really, really well. But then the other thing that you layered in there is you are able to have audience retention. So I saw Jay Klaus interview Jenny Hoyas, who has 600 million YouTube short views. Her big thing is how do you keep the audience engaged for the entire time? And, and we all know that something's going to go a lot further. All these platforms, what do they want? Eyeballs. The longer the eyeballs watch, the happier they are, the more they're going to share that. Their algorithms are set up to share videos that are more likely to get watched have high watch time duration. So you're doing it and you figured out a formula that works. And so let's talk a little bit about what you've seen work to keep people on. How do you do that? If you know anything additional you could share. And then I do want to go back to what you mentioned, which is your production and creative process to get it actually produced. Yeah, absolutely, Billy. So I'll just start with the wish first. Maybe Jenny hears this. I love Jenny's shares. I love her videos because every single video she posts, she really has the Midas touch. 
it goes viral. But there's only one problem with Jenny's format is that it doesn't apply to educational content. So I'm really interested to see if she ever, like when she grows and her brand grows, she gets a little older, if she ever does like like Alex Hormozzi type content, Lewis Howe's content. I'm, I'm going to be really fascinated in how she engineers educational content to go viral in the same way her other videos do. And I'll be copy pasting whatever she ends up implementing. So that's the wish. Well, hold on just real quick on that because you're a great point. And I thought the same thing because her videos, if you want, if anybody hasn't seen them, they're more entertainment based and stories of her life. And it's all about how does she spend less and get more. And one thing she does though, and I think this can still apply is the video every second is meticulously thought about. So I think that's, that is the takeaway that I got is that you think about, I mean, make it as long as it needs to be and not a single second longer. Most of her videos come in at the same exact time because she realized that's the sweet spot. And I forget what it was, like maybe 40 seconds or something like that, or 33 seconds or whatever it is. They're very consistently. And she makes sure that she gets exactly where it needs to be to get her story out, but doesn't take longer than it needs to. Absolutely. And to, and to build on this, which ties into the second part of your question really well around the, the creative process and how I approach it. I'm obviously not even in the same league as Jenny, right? She's like in the in the Olympic Games. I'm still on the mats trying to practice and qualify for the Olympic. But the, the point is still the same. There's a couple of things I do for the time being to help make my content more efficient. So here's what I do for, there's, there's two categories behind this. The first one is prepared scripts. And the other one is impromptu, unprepared scripts. So let's cover the unprepared one. It's very simple. You guest on a podcast in person for three hours, like we're going to do in April together. And then our media teams, both of our media teams will go into that clip, that video, and your team will find the best 10 clips. My team will best find the best 10 clips and we'll split test all 20 and go live with them. So there's not really a lot of effort from both of our sides, the only thing we have to focus on is crushing that conversation and then letting our teams doing the back end of watching the whole thing and them being strategic about what they think will go viral. That's one piece. Or just what they think is the most interesting, which often works in that type of format. The other one, which I think is more fascinating for the audience today, Billy, is prepared scripts. So prepared scripts, what I do is I literally write out all my videos word for word. A lot of people don't know this because I'm, I'm a great communicator that I'm conveying the idea in a way that it doesn't feel scripted, but it is 100% scripted. And I'll push it even further. I write out the video. I even have my jump cuts when I want my editor to cut the video. Hey, I want you to cut it here, 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 here. So I'm not just commenting on the content. I'm even telling him the creative vision that I have for that specific clip. That's why that video did 2.5 million because I said, hey, let's do never. Let's cut here. Show me doing something really dumb. Show me doing something really better and let me explain at the end. And he perf- he was perfect there and we executed that. And then what I do, Billy, I think I'm one of the few content creators that do this at the higher levels, is I'll, I'll have the script and I'll literally speak it out loud in my basement. So I'm literally talking alone to myself. My mother got used to it after a few months of me doing she was a little bit worried for my health and then after that she kind of just said okay brendan whatever brendan's doing is working my sister got used to my my loudness in my basement hence why side note i could never live in an apartment my wife would hate me okay just a side note on that but the but the point is so i'm i'm speaking it out loud billy and then what i do is i change the script so i'm literally talking and i go oh this is garbage like i was making one the other day just to make this more real on uh, my advice for elon musk like if I was a speech coach, I'm making a video on that that I think is going to go viral. But every time I say that, it's not going to 
go viral, so whatever. And then I'm writing my advice, and I go, oh, this is terrible advice, and I'm rewriting it seven, eight, nine times until it's timed. And the last thing I do, and I'll throw it back to you, is I literally have a timer on my phone that I start and I talk just to make sure the video is under 60 seconds. So I do all of that. So everything you see on the end product is not just me going, okay, Billy, let me get on a podcast and start talking. Each script, I'm spending at least 30 minutes rehearsing, practicing, and writing to make sure it comes out the way it does on, on IG. Okay, so let's talk about the the writing part then. It's a good good lead into that. So do you use any tools to help with that? You know, whether it be ideation with ChatGPT or it could be you use something for trends and to find things that are people are, are talking about. Or it could be that you have a a tool to keep all your notes and you go back to that and then do batch process your writing. Like what's how do you get in your zone there? Yeah, so there's two parts we can comment on here. One is the brainstorming of the ideas. One is the actual written process behind the the script. So brainstorming is really simple. My tool is my network. So what I mean by this, it's a strategy. I don't think anyone else is really talking about podcasts that I've implemented to great, great results. And I've been doing this since day one of Master Talk. Is I call this collective brainstorming, but I'll find a better name for it. It's like speed brainstorming, hyperspeed brainstorming, where basically what I do is I'll text, including you, I text you sometimes, I'll text 10 of my friends and I'll go, I'm thinking about X problem, how would you try and solve this? And what's nice about this is even if seven out of 10 of my friends give me terrible ideas, if the other three give me something gold or one of them gives me something gold, everyone was useful in my network. So what happened? Let me give you an example of this. So one of the things I I asked my friends to help me brainstorm, and this is literally three weeks ago, I just said, hey, guys, I need your help with something. Just don't be afraid to ask for help is, I think, the lesson here. And I said, hey, I'm trying to create more never-do-this scripts for communication. But the problem is that I'm facing, there's not a lot of absolute rules in communication. Because most of communication is nuanced. So there's not a lot of nevers. So I ran out of ideas after like 10 or 15. So what did my our buddy Sam do? He went on ChatGPT, which I don't want to spend time figuring out. And he sat there and he ChatGPT that stuff and he sent me 20 ideas. Some other guy that I went to school with did the same thing, but with another uh, AI. I think he used Bard or Copilot. And he gave me 20 other ideas because it's not the same AI uh, script. And then some other guy just used his brain. He sent me 10 videos. And 90% of the videos everyone sent me, Billy, was trash. It was horrible. But everyone had one golden nugget. Sam had one, Richard had one, Christian had one, John had one, Julia had one, and that became my ideas. That's brainstorming. Just ask people and you'll get the ideas. Second piece is in the written format. The written format is really straightforward. I don't really overthink this. I don't like using ChatGPT for that stuff because I feel it's not my voice. I'd rather do that stuff organically. So let me walk you through what I can, what I, what I can talk about that's useful to people, which is I actually block out a whole day which I know a lot of people can't really do sometimes because they might have a nine to five or things like that. Whereas I structure my life now where I have a media day every week or two where the whole day I have no meetings. I can wake up at 11 and my only goal is to write as many scripts as I feel like. If I want to write 10, I'll write 10. Like I wrote 10 on my, yesterday was my media day. I wrote 10 really strong scripts. I liked seven of them. I didn't like three of them. But if you just block out a few media days, and for some of you, it won't be a day. It'll be an hour then you'll be able to eventually build up more scripts and more ideas. Love it. I think the thing to think about anytime you're batch processing is you're not going between two tasks. And that task switching 
takes time. It takes energy. It takes you out of your zone. But when you set a day aside, or even if you set a few hours aside, like depending upon you and your schedule, like do a four hour block. I love doing that. I did that on Sunday all day. I was writing. And I think it's, it's so valuable. If you don't feel like you're in the right creative space, then you could switch up what you're doing or switch up your tactic. But ultimately, giving yourself that time and space to focus, to focus on that one thing. Okay, we're going to wrap up here in a minute. And I want to do a quick lightning round. First thing is, what haven't we talked about that we should talk about as it relates to what you've done on Instagram that has helped you get to where you are both in terms of view count, follower count, everything that you've done over the last year, like what else, you know how I like to squeeze the orange. I don't want to leave any juice left in it. Like what are we missing? That's why you're the best, Philly. So we focused a lot of this conversation on going from one to 100, but I think it's important to realize, and I don't say this to be cocky, you know, it's been five years that I've been creating content now. So of course, all of the, the success we're seeing now People think I'm an overnight success, but people don't know I started making videos since I was uh, in kindergarten, basically. I'm 10 years old now, for those people who are wondering, and I was five when I started when I started creating content. So the point that I want to drive here is let's give a little feedback for people who are getting started. You know, they don't really post on Instagram at all. They're, they're looking at me and they're thinking I'm some kind of monster. Oh my God, four times a day? This guy's like Gary Vee, but for the Brown community, like what in the world is going on here? So let me start something simple, which is exactly the advice I gave you over the phone a few months ago, which is going from zero to one. So people can write this down. Post once, create twice. Let's assume since we're doing a LinkedIn audio, so let's focus on LinkedIn for a second. Just give yourself the goal to post once a day on social media. That's it. Forget about four times a day on Instagram. Forget about eight million times a day. Forget about the split testing. Like I'm on a whole different chapter. And there's people are way ahead of me, but, but I'm like at chapter 15 now. Where I have a whole media team behind me that helps me. But I think the key is, what can we do to post once a day? So the trick that I would challenge people to think about, Billy, is create two posts a day and post once. Why is this such a good tip? The reason is because creating two posts a day, it gets hard, but it's not that intimidating. Like make 400 pieces of content like I did in like six weeks. That's too intimidating. But here's the magic of this. If you post once and you create twice for a week, you have a week more of content. And if you do this for six months, you're done for the rest of the year. But here's the best part. You're done for the rest of the year, but technically you're also done for the rest of your life. Why is that? Because if you make two pieces of content for six months, that's 365 pieces of content that you could repost from the beginning for the rest of your life. So that's the way that I think about it is nobody remembers. I got this from Jason Capital. This is not an original idea. I just added more technical ideas for Instagram. Jason Capital says it best. When you go to Taylor Swift's concert, because I know both of me and you love Taylor Swift, we don't go to Taylor Swift to, to have her do like an avocado recipe or to have her cook in front of us. We go to the Taylor Swift concert because the songs that we both sing in the shower, we want her to sing in front of us. No, Taylor, you could do one or two new songs if you want, but I want you to sing Love Story, okay? I want you to sing your new album because that's what I'm listening to. People don't want your new stuff. People sometimes want your new stuff, but they really want is the old and fashioned, the stuff that they love you for. But here's the punch. In six months, your new followers didn't know what you posted six months ago. So you have a responsibility 
to keep posting your best hits, which is exactly why that video that did 2.5 million views, I'm milking that sucker until the end of my life. Even when I'm 65 years old, I'll look back and I'll post it and I'll go, when I was in my 20s and I was a whippersnapper, this is the video. And I'll keep posting it until I'm dead. And that's the mindset you want to have. They want the classics. There's a great post that specifically talks to this. And it's like every musician has a small amount of their music that actually became a hit. Some are one hit wonders. And then others, it's 20%, 30%. Very few. Is it more than that? So go get your hits. How do you get your hits? Produce enough. Look at what you're producing. Make it better. All the things that you've said here help to guide the light to do that and to do it at scale. That's what this is all about. So last word for you, my friend, how could people work with you if they're in the creatives, if, they, if they're looking to improve their communication and they're looking to uh, up level? I know you have it hard out, as do I. So uh, give you the last word on this one. For sure. But I'm so excited to do this in person. It's going to be fire. Super excited about that. And I can't wait for all of you to listen to that. Two ways to keep in touch. Number one, if you're listening from LinkedIn, I want you to send me a DM on LinkedIn and let me know what you thought of the conversation and I'll respond with the voice note. And for those of you who are listening from the podcast, I want you to DM me on Instagram. So that's master your talk. Your is spelled Y-O-U-R, master your talk. Send me a DM on Instagram and tell me what big takeaway you got from this podcast and I will send you a voice note. So can't wait to hear from you. Thanks again, Brendan. Really appreciate you, my friend. I uh, absolutely Thank the world of you and so grateful for our friendship, my friend. We'll talk soon. Likewise, bro. Thanks, man. Thank you for listening to this episode of Inside Out. I hope you took away some valuable insights that will help you in business and in life. If you like this show, the best payment you can give is to rate, review, and subscribe to the show on your favorite podcast platform. You can also listen to past episodes and see a breakdown of all the best insights by going to insightoutshow.com. And for the record, there's no greater compliment than sharing this show with your friends on social media. So if there's an insight or a lesson that you liked, please share it and tag both me and today's guest. And until next time, remember, your next life-changing breakthrough moment may happen when you least expect it. Insight out.